This episode is brought to you by Eufy Video Lock. Eufy is a smart lock with 2K cam and doorbell that's a three-in-one triple security, so you can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but it's also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated camera. It's easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver. It's got keyless entry, so no more fumbling for the keys when your hands are full. It also has a rechargeable battery that could last around four months, and you'll get low battery notifications before it runs out. Passcode unlocking with a remote control with 2K clear sight to see who's at your front door and control from anywhere through the app. And with enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. No monthly fee, unlike other brands that will charge monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. This is the future. This is everything I love about what's happening with doors. In my opinion, this is an absolute no-brainer. I'm telling you right now, this is an absolute no-brainer. We installed them in the house, and it makes, especially when you have a family, it makes life so easy, so secure, so safe, and once again, so easy. Search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Thank you, thank you, gentlemen and coming. Hey guys, it's Bert. I'd like to ask for a small favor. If you plan on buying my book, Life of the Party, then please pre-order it at BertBertBert.com. The pre-order sales are literally the determining factor on how well the book does opening week, and how well it does opening week determines how well the book does overall. Writing this book is one of the proudest achievements of my entire life, and I want to share it with as many people as I can. You pre-ordering it makes that possible. So do me a solid, pull out your credit card, and go to BertBertBert.com and pre-order Life of the Party. Thank you so much. You know I love you. Today's guest, comedian, writer, TV producer, and host of the podcast, The Mick Bettencourt Show. Easily one of the most interesting people I've ever met, Mick Bettencourt. This is The Birdcast. So where do people usually sit? Just sit right there. Yeah, right. yeah. Anywhere. It's. Uh, I'm already rolling. Nice setup. Oh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> better than anything I own. Did you think when you were fucking raging down in Florida that <laughs> you would have two kids in a the suburbs, man, and with a fucking orange tree? <laughs> I thought the orange tree definitely. <laughs> I really. Sure. Yeah. It was a picture I of the orange tree. Where do you? Desk. I was like, I'll definitely have oranges in my life, only because I fucking hate oranges. And what? I hate oranges. I, I don't. Let me. What's re- the name of your Al Qaeda cell? <laughs> what the fuck? Who hates oranges? <laughs> I have no enamel on my teeth. So anytime I ever ate oranges as a kid, all my teeth are fake. All the teeth you see are fake. Like twenty six fake teeth. We came off the rail in thirty seconds. Yeah, I have twenty six <laughs> fake teeth. I got hit in the mouth on my eleventh birthday with a baseball bat. Swear to God, my daughter lost her two front teeth the other last weekend. Uh, some girl fucking threw her down and cracked her two what? front teeth maliciously. My, yeah, a little oh. bit, a little bit. It, it was, it was, it was kid shit. Like, I mean, I, I could lose my shit about it, but it was kid shit. So it was malicious. Right, quick question: As parents shit. out here, what are the weird, bizarro fucking rules that exist out here that don't? I'm from Chicago. Yeah, I'll give you a quick example. My son went through a little bullying stage. <sighs> 
it was pre-K, right? And it was just weird. He was a little amped up. He just was, he didn't know what to do with the surge. You know, when that surge yeah. comes and you're a little kid, and you're like, I got to fucking run. Yeah. Like, so he the, was dealing yeah. with that, and there just happened to be people. And, and I'm not co-signing his shit. It just, he would fucking, that was what he did. But I knew we were going back to Chicago. And everything out here is just, like, people can scream at you in their car, but if you hit them, they're like, you hit me. You're like, yeah, dude, you ran your mouth. I don't fucking understand what world you live in. Yeah. So my son's like, I'm like, listen, Liam, this is not how the world operates. This is You're in a weird bubble. This is like Edgar Allan Poe's Mask of the Red Death out here. Everyone's in the castle pretending the plague doesn't exist. I go, but we're going to Chicago. And I took him to this Chuck E. Cheese in Little Poland because I knew those kids don't fuck around. <laughs> Fucking Little Poland. And so we go there. Right? I just imagine a bunch of kids in track suits. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're dressed pants with like white feeders on. <laughs> so they're all at, little, at Caesarland, which is like a Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. And uh, I just watch him shellac and this kid pushing him. And then there's like a nine-year-old kid. He comes up to me. He goes, mister, your, your son, he pushed my brother. And I go, go handle it. So he just goes up to my son and just punches him twice in the face. And my oh. son's like, why? <laughs> We're in a different fucking world, Dad. <laughs> and so he goes, that kid hit me. He hit me. I go, what happened? He goes, he hit me, hit me. I go, but what happened before he hit you? I was pushing that kid. I go, well, that kid's his brother. So what does that teach you? And he goes, look for a brother. Look for- <laughs> I'm like, no, totally missed the fucking point. You're missing it. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you a weird. I'll tell you a weird uh, situation that we ran into. George was getting bullied. Uh, this is back. This is back a while now. And uh, she was getting bullied by two girls who had two dads each, and they were making fun of her because her family wasn't normal. How dare you, like, uh, how, you got a mom and a dad? Oh, my God. We got two dads. You're weird. How would you have a mom and a dad? Clearly, their parents were compensating, overcompensating for their fears of what kids would say about them having two dads at school because yeah. of how they grew up. And what they had in turn done is taught their daughter, their daughters how to bully anyone who was different than them. Yeah. And I wanted... I mean, I come from the school of, and I told her this at another later point, find what's different about that kid, mock it, point it out, show it to the other kids, make him insecure <laughs> of it. That's how we grew up. So, and I want to say, you want to say all the things in your head that are, that you've, that you've actually been taught to say the opposite of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've, I've worked very hard in my life. I didn't grow up open-minded. I grew up in Florida. Fucking horrific. I remember, I remember a fight with a black kid and a white kid. I remember the chant. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was in first grade, and I remember the, the black kid stole my football. And these two rednecks fucking... Well, that was the call. Yeah, that yeah. the call to be like... And we're not going to sing it, but if you don't know the call, signal. then yeah. you don't know the call. You know, the weird thing is, man, I'm Irish and Puerto Rican. My father's yeah. Puerto Rican. My mother's Irish. My parents were 16 and 17 when I was born. Yeah. My dad died when he was 22. So my dad got custody of me right away, and I grew up in a black house. Like it was, there were three kids: Tyrone, Dude, and Bebe, and it was. Uh, by the way, <laughs> if you have not listened, it's it, this is how. I apologize. In the man cave is <laughs> Mick Bettecourt. <laughs> Mick is. Uh, I got an email of. So you're in. You're like me in the realm of comics who are good at comedy, but even better storytellers. When we figure out that muscle of how to get our stories straight to stage and we don't have to do any fucking stand-up and it's just story, like hardcore, lit candle Mark Twain (laughs) fucking storytelling, you're in the list. You're in the short list. There's a short list of comics that people go, best storyteller I've ever heard. And I think most of it is, is 
I think a lot of times the average comic uh, has lived a very kind of yeah. sheltered life. And then when you get guys that have lived out of the box, myself, you, Joey Diaz, oh, yeah. uh, Brant Tobler, yeah, like yeah. just guys who have had interesting life experiences, uh, I think it and we're comics, and we know how to tell our stories. Yeah. So they tell me, they're like, you got to listen to his Fuck the Crab Feast. Her's Crab Feast. Yeah, yeah. And How great's that show, man? They hit it. They got that really sweet spot. Because they're not very two. strong comics. Fuck, <laughs> 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 you pulled that out before oh, 9 a.m. Oh, fuck. That was a fucking... Fucking geez. Jay Larson. Jay Larson is one of the... F- Jay Larson is one of my favorite guys to watch succeed. Yeah, yeah. He is one of the favorite... Because he was... Even more fun to watch fail. When he was floundering and failing, he was in his head. But to watch succeed, oh, it's so much fun. I can't even really imagine knowing him. Uh, you, you know him better. But I, fuck, how long have I known him? Maybe six years. How frustrating that must have been. The, 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 the death sets that are required to build as a oh, comedian. You know? I had sets. one last night, man. I did uh, flappers. It was only like 10 minutes, but I'm doing this thing that you're talking about. Yeah. I loved your Marin podcast, by the way, because oh. you guys got into it a little bit about, you know, well, what is stand-up now, and has it evolved? It was a great, great fucking episode. Maybe I'll listen to that. But uh, <laughs> I never listened to it. I never listened to it because I was so self-conscious. It's, you know what? I don't listen to a ton of mine either. I, I, uh, I take that back. I listen to all my fucking podcasts. Do you really? But Marin, I didn't. I don't listen to Marin or Rogan because I'm so self-conscious. When I'm with Joe, I feel like, I really genuinely feel like I'm just stupid, and poor Joe's fucking... Like literally, like riding his bikes to school with his kids. He's like, "Come on, catch up. We're talking about the universe. It's going to be easy. There's a Milky Way. There's also a solar system. It's going to be fine. You're going to figure it out." So I, I don't listen. To, I don't listen to the ones with jo- I do with Joe or the ones I do with Marin. But any of the other ones, like I literally you really go back and listen. I listen to them. I enjoy them. Actually, I enjoy hearing myself talk. <laughs> That's why this podcast is so uninteresting. It's because all I fucking do is talk. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, you're in that group. And so I go back, I listen to that crab feast and I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm like, and you know, there's a, there is a high standard mark of, that you have as a comic when you're like, when a fan goes greatest podcast ever you're, of, of another podcast, you're like, I believe it, but I want to hear it. And man, oh, thanks. When, what was the, the, I think the part that was that you taking a sip of milk and your mom hitting you. Oh yeah. Well, that's after my dad died. <sighs> Dude. I want to thank David Golden, by the way, your fan and the guy that listens to my podcast that emailed you. Yeah. And, you know, because uh, I had to catch up on yours as well. I wanted to really get in and listen to a wide spectrum of guests that you have because I think that's a good benchmark of <laughs> where an interviewer is at, of yeah. how they deal with different personalities. And, you know, you said, like, Joe's super smart, or you get a guy, you know, that you can't even tie down and get three straight words out of because they're yeah. whack and fucking wacky land, you know? Yeah. But, uh, it's crazy the fans of podcasts, man, what they do and how invested they are in the show, which means you can't bullshit them. You can't, you can't be – the there's that weird yeah. thing when you and I started, and you and I did shows. It had to be, man, 12 years ago or 11 Holy years. Holy shit. Well, it was before you hit anything. It's it. it was a long fucking time ago. When Drew Carey was doing the Thursday nights at the Improv, remember that was the night. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that totally. Party in the bar and it was like weird. That was that was the greatest. That was the greatest time in my stand up because it was sold out shows. Mm -hmm. It was I was young, so I was hungry. Like Benson was still hanging around back then. Not that I hung out with him. Was still Swartzen was still every perched up at the bar. And if you Anthony Clark was there every single fucking night, and they would be like, "Hey, you want to do a set?" And the room like that they were. 
poured down the hallway. I mean, you couldn't even get into the room, and you're like, what? God damn. That was a crazy time. That really was. And Drew Carey was the nicest fucking guy. Couldn't have been nice. Remember, he was dating that stripper. Remember, he would pull up in the BMW? I remember he, ha- I remember he had a heart attack, like, right around that time. And I used to see he had a heart attack, I think. Probably oh, that, that's when this- he started the weight loss. And yeah, and he started yeah, the weight yeah. loss, and I'd see him walking up on Mulholland <laughs> all the time in, like, a big safari hat. And I'd be like, crazy man coming here. Like, it still blows me away. Like, I'll be on set and I'm like, how the fuck did this happen? Like, I really wanted it and I did a lot of work, but like, you always felt coming here that this thing existed and that like everyone knew the rules and that shit just happened and, and you might get a crumb, but and, and take the crumb and, 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 and season the shit out of that crumb and make it delicious. <laughs> but like, fucking- I've been working that crumb for fucking five years. <laughs> It's like crazy. I feel like. Can I tell you that? I feel like. I feel like this is going to sound. But this is my own um, uh, self diagnosis of. I don't. You know. I'm not a big fan. I'm. I'm very critical of me. I, I'm very critical of me in two ways. Number one, I'm so critical that the other day I got off stage and I go. That was kind of a weak set. And then I'm like. And then I'm like. And then I go. That. That's how I. I pat myself on the back. I go. That's the nod to a good comic is when you're critical. And I go. Yeah. Well, a good comic is critical and then fixes it. I'm just critical and go. Well, that one didn't work. <laughs> Never <laughs> Try doing do it again the same again. way tomorrow. <laughs> but I've, I'm so self-critical that I even when I do get a, a, a small bit of success, I start shitting on it and going, "Well, yeah, but I lucked into this, or like, no. like I didn't earn it the way the other guys did. Like, like e- even you know." I don't know. Like I, I'm, 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 I'm never. I can never just sit back and go. Ah, you know, like I'm here. Like I don't have that brain. Did you see that thing that was floating around on Twitter? Shit, in like the last two days, like the worst thing that you can say is like I've arrived or like finally it's you know that we that place of being that to- weird. By conference. the way, I've totally said that. <laughs> have you really? Oh, I said that. <laughs> my like first, that's a, you looked in the mirror this morning. That's it. Your morning affirmation. <laughs> my buddy, uh, my my buddy Eddie used to have a joke where um, where he would he was he would he, this guy was the funniest fucking guy that will never do stand up that you'll never. And by the way, nowadays it's to, so politically incorrect when you hang out with him. The things he says, but back twelve years ago it was fine. Fifteen years ago, oh, it was run of the mill. He would, you know, what he would do? He would always type in the address to where he was in the navigation system in his car uh-huh. and whenever he'd get in the car he'd go you know i want to tell you something super important about your career and then he'd hit enter and go you have arrived and i and so that became our joke we'll t- cut to were you sober when he hit that or were you did he wait till you were super high oh if you're super high and you hit that joke oh, your brain might explode eddie was one of the fun he that and he would be like uh his other thing was he would always get off the phone at a bar and put it down and yell, I got the part. And people would fucking cheer and buy him shots. I got the part. And then if he ever saw someone that didn't look like they were having a gay, it looked like someone didn't get the part. Like, that was his. So he. Oh, my God. He was a, he's a really interesting guy. I wrote a chapter about him in my book. He uh, mockingly kidnapped two girls one time. Yeah, he's an interesting fucking guy. So, um. <laughs> What was I saying? People frown on that. I had an ICM. <laughs> I, it was it was all in fun back in college when you could kidnap people, and people didn't know they could press charges and send you to jail. I rushed a fraternity that I didn't want to. I'm not a fraternity guy. You yeah. know, it was like it was like the Animal House fraternity, and uh, there were 14 people that rushed the fraternity. 13 people got kicked out of the university. 
out of my pledge class. The 14th would have, but he was a super rich guy that was like dialed in and threw serious money to keep his kid in. And then three people died like within the next three years. What fraternity? SAE. Oh, you know, you seem like you would have been a great asset to a fraternity. Any guy who had any real set of life experiences walked into the fraternity system and was like, oh, this is dialed in to make fucking money. Like, those guys well, yeah, would roll in and be like, I can deal weed to these guys. Well, there's, there's a no, slush there was fund. no Greek row or whatever. I yeah. guess some campuses have housing that's specifically designated for that. Like, yeah. this was just that, the social chair's apartment. <laughs> so. <laughs> I had a, you know, I'm tatted up. But you, I didn't tatted it up. Yeah, so, and uh, I had a chopper. This is way before Jesus choppers were Christ. like, like uh, American chopper had not arrived yet. So I yeah. had this thing is like, I actually sawed the uh, my exhaust pipes in half because I'm not a mechanical guy, and I'm like, this will make it louder. <laughs> like it was just horrible. <laughs> it was just like, pop, pop, pop. I just horrible. And uh, so I'm on the beach, and uh, I think I was like. Going to tour schools, right? So for, I got a full ride to University of Chicago, like on a, on a riding thing. So they send me down there, and they're like, "You're gonna go. You're gonna visit the campus. You're gonna on stay a, with these on a kids. writing thing, a writing scholarship. Oh, okay. Yeah, writing and teaching. So I was gonna teach writing. So the writing got me the scholarship, and then the deal was that I could study writing and teaching, and then I would teach writing. And for every year I taught writing in an impoverished neighborhood, they would pay repay a year in my school. That was Holy the deal, shit. right? Yeah. So it was super cool. Wait, how did you how did you get into writing? Oh, listen to this, man. I was <clears throat> first off when I was so my dad died to get I come out of the ghetto, right? We were talking about racism earlier. So my mom. So wait, you need to give uh, like for anyone on this podcast has never heard you. Yeah. You need to give a little bit of a backstory, only because I don't want you to tell everything. Yeah, Here's yeah. what I want you to tell. <laughs> um, uh, your mom, your your dad. I'll I'll, <clears throat> I'll, I'll fill it in, and you tell me. Uh, and I'll tell you what I'd like to hear, only for the people that know. Yeah, yeah. So your mom and dad marry when they're very young. Your no, mom- married. Hot, fu- hot teen fucking in the back of a car. Baby arrives. Do you, do you know what kind of car it was? Uh, yeah, it was a. Um, it was a Buick. Uh, you remember the big one? It wasn't a Riv, but it had that big bubble back window like yeah. a Riv in the front end that was like forty feet long. It was yep. red, dark red. You need to buy one of those cars. I think I was conceived in a bug. Were you? So- with- so you, they you're, they don't get married. They split up. Your mom goes back with her family, which is Irish. Irish. And your dad takes off with his family, lives with his mom, And I live in sister. a neighborhood called Humble Park, <clears throat> which is a Puerto Rican ghetto. And the blacks and the Puerto Ricans do not get along. And we live with a black family. And you do, don't even look remotely Puerto Rican. I, I look pretty white. Pretty white. <laughs> pretty white's an understatement. But Bedencourt's my last name, and Bedencourt's like Smith in Puerto Rico. Oh, really? My grandfather spoke no English. And he actually And he lived upstairs And he No This is the weird part So we My grandmother lived in my I don't really know Where my grandfather lived um, His address is actually On my dad's death certificate But um, He would just show up And sit in the living room And like sip Oil cans of Schlitz And I'd like try to talk to him And he'd just be like <laughs> And I'm like Okay And like My grandma didn't speak Puerto Rican So they had Three kids And they couldn't talk to each other That's the power of Puerto Rican cock Bert <laughs> That sounds like a, that sounds like the closing <laughs> arguments of a defense case. That's a power Puerto Rican cock. Your Honor, I rest my case. <laughs> that was it. So like it was all weird, man. It was all fucking weird. But your dad died at a young age. Yeah. There was I think there was heroin involved with your si- his sister, his correct? Sister, yeah. And then your dad just died. Did your he, dad overdose? Or? No, he got electrocuted on the third rail on the subway. He was in the morgue for three days before anyone even. Th- when I say ghetto, man, I don't mean like. 
look at the mystical video you know let's watch yeah. 106th and park i mean i'm talking hood shit like fucking knives pulled because who's gonna drink the last of the pickle juice like hardcore <sighs> shit <laughs> and That's because i couldn't insane. speak puerto rican because i they because i look so white there was a choice made like do not because like you said 15 years ago you know i'm 39 and be 40 in april like it was not a chicago still is not a very racially sensitive town so yeah. it was like listen man don't give him an accent just let him fucking be white and get on with his life. And so I hung out with the black kids. So I was like Steve Martin and the jerk. Like, I'm like, what? I'm not black? Like, I was fucking shot. I told, what the fuck? Like, I talked like a little black kid because I hung out with Tyrone Dude and Bebe. That was my crew. That's right. And then when your dad passed, you get moved to your mom's. Yeah. Your introduction to your mom is... Uh, this is uh, this. Well, by first, the way, first is the, off, my <clears throat> uncle comes. Your the, uncle picks yeah, you yeah, up. He picks, your uncle <laughs> saves your life. He does in more ways than one, and it's so tragic, man. Because I love this guy, but the whole Irish side of the family is so fucking like that. That Irish that we all know that is so boisterous and over the top. It just like. It, you're, you're, you're held hostage by it. You're like, these are the best people. Oh, my God. Look at these guys. And then you're like, why are they hitting me now? Yeah. Where's my wallet? That guy's <laughs> got his dick in my girlfriend's mouth. This is a horrible party. Like, when it always, you're like They were like a, a roving ba- band of fucking lunatics, man. Like, my mom ultimately got arrested for robbing a bank. My grandfather did seven years of a 15-year sentence for armed robbery. My other uncle got murdered on uh, Austin and the Eisenhower. My other uncle, just the one that saved my life, man, his brain just started to eat itself from the inside out. Like, it was just crazy watching people just fucking go down, man. Insane. So he comes to the Puerto Rican neighborhood, yeah, rolls yeah. in, and says, This well, is no He tells place me, for Don't you. go to bed. He said, well, at, the, at the, let's see, you have the waking on the funeral. So he's like, Don't go to bed, man. I'm coming to get you. Whatever you do, when you hear me knock, you just come to the door. So I'm like, Okay. So it was just before sunrise. And he came. And he's like, shh, let's go. And so we're starting to walk out. And my dad's good sister, who was going to school, she was going to nursing school. She had her shit together. <clears throat> she was trying to get out. She's like, we're never going to see him again, are we? And he's like, nope. And that was the last that I was in that house. I haven't seen any of those people. We get in the car. I'm like, what? I'm not going to. You're not bringing me back You should have told me. I need to pack more stuff. <laughs> I know. He's like, it was a clear break, man. My toys, everything. And I was six. So he's we're driving and I'm hysterical, man. And he's like, you know, there's going to be a YMCA here. There's kids. You can play basketball. There's a pool. There's a re- it's great, man. This neighborhood called Berwyn. You're going to love it. Your mom's there. And I'm like, what's she like? Because I don't have any memory of her, you know? Yeah. He's like, oh, she's great. She's your mom. Don't worry about it. It's going to be awesome. So we pull up. The sun's just starting to come up. I'm like, oh, you know, like a new day. The sun's up. Oh, There's wow. dew on the grass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a hummingbird flew up to you and said, hey, yeah, you're the one they've been talking day. about. Yeah. <laughs> Hi-ho. <laughs> so fucking, I walk in. It was a two flat. My mom lived on the first floor, and it was this weird thing, man, where my uncle opens the door, and there's this woman. She's like four foot nothing, red hair, all covered in freckles, and she's looking. It was like all of a sudden the mood just – it was like the music when they play when Vader come bam, 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 and we're just this weird thing. And I'm like, uh, and I was hungry. You know, I need breakfast, so I just pop her fridge open, and I pull a quart of milk out, and I just pop it open, no glass. I just start chugging it, and it was sour and curdled, and I'm like, ah! 
on. I just spit it on the floor. And by the time I look up, she had cocked her fist back and just fucking dropped me straight right, right on the button. I hit, I just fall right on my ass. I drop the milk. The milk's pouring everywhere. I look up at my uncle. He's like, good luck. <laughs> he just fucking, he walks out. Like, what the fuck? Oh. That's so it's so crazy too, especially when you have kids now to think of Uh, my child put in that situation. That's all I thought of the whole time as I was like I was like, that's Isla. Like how would Isla bounce back? She'd never bounce back. You know what's weird, man? When I at my son's sixth birthday, I was singing him happy birthday, I had the cake, it had the little lit candle that said six on it, and I was putting it down in front of him and I saw because you know, in my memories now I'm this big. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for whatever, you know, when I recall that shit. Yeah. So when someone's trying to hit me, I'm this size. And the story is always much different than it was back then because I get to reach, you know, my mind tries. But it's weird when I felt my brain literally click and then it was like a pin got pulled out of my throat. I had to excuse myself and go in the other room. I started shaking and sobbing. Holy shit. I'm like, look at how little I couldn't have been that little. There's no way I was that little. He's a tiny kid. Yeah. That's not what six looks like. You know, because I'd seen six year olds, but they weren't in my house. It wasn't like I was studying, you know, no, yeah, what yeah, yeah, ages. Yeah. all of a sudden it was it was in it was where I lived and, and it was outside of me. You know what I mean? So for like six months, man, I'm like, I would get these waves of like intense recall and like emotions. So I had to go see a shrink and I'm like, hey, man, listen, let me preface with I think you're full of shit. And everything you're going to tell me is horseshit. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is a good. It was just really tough for me to go because I had lived through all this shit. So I thought my survivor skills were on point. And he's like, you got PTSD, man. And I'm like, hold on, man. My cousin is special forces. He's on his fifth tour in Afghanistan right now. If anyone's getting fucking PTSD, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I go, you mean to tell me? And my cousin's like my brother. I go, I got to tell him I'm the one with PTSD. He's like, we should, we should, I should be visiting you in prison right now. He's yeah. Like from what you just told me. So it's very surreal, man, to look back over all of this shit. And I only share that because, like on my podcast, you've heard it. Like, I think things that make great comedy, there has to be some dramatic stakes in that. Real ones, you know what I mean? Or, or not tragedies of a, a, a fucking too dramatic word, but you know what I mean? Like, I want some oomph. Like, when I first heard Pryor and he started talking about people overdosing and that pain, and then he made it funny. Well, even before that, the honeymooners, when they were just broke and they had no money and they thought they were going to get evicted. And he's like, I'm telling you. And he's screaming and I'm yeah. laughing. I'm like, why am I laughing? Because my mom screams and my uncle screams and everyone yeah. screams, but no one laughs. Oh, you can make that funny. Like that blew the fucking doors off for me, man. Of like, wow, that because fatty falls down. That's funny to me. I get it. I like the three yeah. stooges. Super funny. All of the uh, Looney Tunes shit. Big physical gags. I don't. Chaplain. Yeah. And I don't want to say I don't want to uh, say that. Melissa McCarthy is fatty falls down, but uh, man, that woman has my fucking button. She, everything yeah, she yeah. does is fucking funny, and I do not know if it would be as funny if she was a perfect ten model. No. But the flaw in her, I connect with. Well, there's a vulnerability there too. <clears throat> I connect with that vulnerability, yeah, and I love everything she does. And I didn't mean, hopefully, Melissa McCarthy's well at a point where anything like that she understands what I'm talking about. But I'm sure she is. Yeah, but <clears throat> you're right, and I Look, do man, think you and I are big guys, right? And we've yeah. been bigger. You've yeah. like you've cut down, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I've cut down too. But when I was the biggest that I did, you know, I play the hand I'm dealt, and I was huge, big, physical comic, broad. You know, f- fatty falls down because that's that was my tool. I yeah. couldn't be skinny guy falls down because I was a fat motherfucker. So when I fell down, it was even funnier. Like when I was doing Second City back in Chicago and just shooting short shit, it's like yeah, 
yeah, let's fucking do this, man. Yeah. Because it's funny. Yeah. It's fucking funny. I find my favorite stuff, though, is vulnerability. Yeah. Like, I love, I love, um, I, and, and it's interesting, uh, it, it's interesting from a storytelling perspective. I have no, I have no real, um, I have no real attachment to the uh, to the storyline of a story. I have an attachment to the reveal of a story. So, like, uh, I have a great story about that I've told before about meeting Whitney Houston. Um, but the reveal is at the end, and the the whole lead in, she is just a black chick. But if my wife tells a story she, right off the bat, she's like, "Did you tell this? Did you hear the story about meeting Whitney Houston?" And and so she tips the hat way too yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 obsessed with. Uh, the ins and outs of storytelling, and and how they apply to like entertainment, and 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 I would love to take it to the next level and just do a storytelling store of really great stories. I remember Steve Garbarino was this writer that wrote work wrote for like us or something. When we were kids, he wrote for like The Village Voice. I don't know what it was, but I remember him telling scary stories about living in in Philadelphia. And we were in high school. We were at the age where we were all go sneak out at night to smoke pot and we would not smoke pot to sit and listen to him tell stories. Wow. And he was, I mean, he had the greatest, he'd make, create a character and the character got rich. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, and it's like, I look back at that and I'm like, God, that's fucking, but no way, how did you get into writing? So, so you move in with your mom, your, 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 that's when your grandfather lives upstairs. Yeah. Uh, your mom's dad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, after a while, I can't live with my mom because she's just, She's an alcoholic, so like she would take me out drinking with her. So I'd be, yeah. you know, be four in the morning, and I'm ordering Manhattans for her and me, and I'm driving home. And then you're rolling into school the next and then I'm day. Rolling into school, man, it was crazy. So I just moved upstairs uh, with my grandfather. Then he died, and so no one claimed me in this apartment. I just stayed in this apartment by myself, and uh, I got a job at a restaurant so I could eat. And then I enrolled myself in high school, and then so for about a year and a half, I just lived on my own. And through this whole time, man, I'd always uh, read great books and was always writing, partially because of my uncle. My uncle was a very, like, a studious guy, and he would be like, you got to read Mark Twain. You got to read Hemingway. You got to read Cheever. You know what I mean? Like, you got to read Catch-22. So really, like, a large part of my success is from his influence of exposing me to all that stuff. And just like you, man, look... Making people laugh, I was that guy, man. You know, and I was a class clown, and I loved, loved, loved making people laugh. But I didn't understand what a comedian was at that point in my life. You know, yeah. I, was eighth, I didn't understand that you could even do that, that that was a thing. It was just so beyond my scope. I'm like, must eat. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But what I could do is go to the library and take out a book and have a, a spiral notebook next to it. And I would literally write out the first sentence of, say, the Great Gatsby, and I would write it out, and I'd look. Oh, I almost want to say I know that sentence because that sentence defined me. It was something about at the year, at the age of thirty, I had to decide whether or not to stop lying to myself. Yeah, because I remember at thirty, I was like, "Great Gatsby is my life right now." Yeah, yeah. This is where I need to go. What am I going to do? Nick Carraway <clears throat> in the middle of it all, man. Yeah, but it was a it was a profound day for me because I'm looking and I'm like, okay, so if I wanted to be in Taxi Driver or even Star Wars, right? Because I love Star Wars, and I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I can't be Luke Skywalker, but I literally just wrote the first sentence of an F. Scott Fitzgerald novel. Like, I just wrote, I did the exact same thing he did. Yeah. Now, oh, that's really fascinating. You know, so I'm like, look at that. Like, and you can't take it away from me because 
when I say I'm poor, man, I'm I'm saying it's 13. I would stand in the corner and beg for money. Like it wasn't like, ooh, I'm I'm a fish fan and I just want to see what it's like to live off the land. But I can always like, no, there was no fucking food, man. You know what I mean? Like that was it. So I found a little watercolor set and I paint in the numbers and I go find out where old ladies hung out, like by the Tasty Freeze and shit. And I try to sell it to them for a dollar. Like I was on a grind to eat, like fun- yeah. brass tack fundamental shit. And I'm like, look at this. Like you, whatever it is. You can't take this away from me. Like I could have nothing, and you could give me a pen and a piece of paper, and I can go, and I can write Mars is cold today, and now I'm on Mars. Yeah. Or I could be like, it's crazy at the White House right now, and now I'm in the Capitol. Like whatever I want to do on this piece of paper, I can do, and there's nothing to stop me. Whereas if you and I wanted to do a play, we need actors, a stage, a script. If we're going to improvise, we need more than one of us. Stand up didn't even know about that yet, but I did know if I put pen to paper, I can go anywhere that I want and have, like you said, these characters do whatever the fuck they wanted. It just blew me away. It just blew me away the power of that. You know, I'm going to get. I just realized I'm going to get a text from my uh, editor, Yaniv, and he's going to be like, "Hey, can you hook me up with Mick next time he's in New York?" <laughs> <laughs> right now, Yaniv's going, I know, I know, right? <laughs> Congrats, man, on doing that, because a lot uh, of people talk about writing a book, and oh, 99.9%. It's the same thing with people that are like, I'm going to move to LA and be a comic. I'm going to lose weight. Same it's thing. A, yeah. You just got to do it, man. And it, you have to let it be fucking horrible, because it's easier to make these, something horrible better than nothing better. These books, I, the and I, I imagine, I want to get back to you, but uh, these the book I did was all about my... Stories and my stories, as outrageous as they may sound, and as 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 uh, as uh, fictionalized as they may seem that they are, they are based one hundred percent on truth. Yeah, you know whatever small detail I, I use for a laugh is yeah. inconsequential. Yeah, yeah. However, these are true stories that happen to me, and, and the writing of a true story, it's kind of it, it's not depressing, but you're living a little bit in the past. Yeah. So, um, but when you write a script or when you write fiction. There is this like fantasy world that you're talking about that you do live in where you're like, I am out of this little existence. Yeah. I am into my next one. And my next book I was just talking to my editor about uh, is – it's a little hard to explain. I'll explain to you after the podcast. But it's beautiful because it's a, it's a little bit of both if that makes sense and I get to disappear. Yeah. And writing in the in – the, in the, it's it's what's beautiful about reading a book or watching a great show like Game of Thrones or Black Sails. I'm obsessed with Black Sails right now. But Robert uh, Stu- Robert Louis Stevenson yeah uh, wrote Treasure Island. Treasure Island was a great fucking book when you were a kid, and now this is the prequel. Oh, I'm fucking in. It, you it, fantasy really. But not only that, man, you did it now. You now have written a book, so every time you read a book, you're like, oh, look at how they slid into the backstory there. It makes Ooh, reading a book totally yeah, different. Totally different. You're like, I, I started, I, I can't really get too much into it, but I <laughs> started reading a book that I was like, that that's what I want to do. I understand, and I was like, what was the book? I can't tell you. I'll, oh, I'll, I'll tell you. Because right. if I tell you, you'll know what I'm doing. Okay. So, oh, for the next one you're saying. For the next one. So it inspired so, the book that inspired your book. The book, well, it's such a fucking, I, I, I'll tell you all yeah. after this. Okay. But it's, it's uh, Never mind. anyway, yeah, I got yeah. You. yeah, yeah. But I started reading it and I went, oh, that's interesting how they do that. And then I was like, you know what? I got to put this down because however I do yeah, it yeah, is yeah. how I do it. Yeah. And I should just let my voice be my voice. Don't ever try to copy someone's voice, especially in writing. You're so insecure. Yeah. So you, so you, uh, you run a party house out of your mom's house. Yeah. 
You're everyone's gone. It's just you. Well, You're- my mom was there for a while, and she was dating this guy that used to beat her and put cigarettes out on her. It's a piece of shit guy. Here, oh. Here's two funny stories. So now, how do I get to a funny story from that? Because if you're listening, you're like, what the fuck, how the fuck <laughs> yeah. is this going to happen? But what's beautiful about a story is you're hooked. <laughs> yeah. You're well, like, okay, so I'm in. I could hear all that shit happening downstairs. Now, at the same time, now, I'm not a tough guy. I'm not. But I'm very good at making people believe that I'm tough. And I had to do that very – it was just a survival mechanism. Same with funny. So I'm just starting to wrestle at the time in grade school. I'm doing very well at it. And, this, and I'm hearing the glass break and I'm hearing the screams and I'm, I'm at a crossroads. Like I've called 911 on this motherfucker 20 times. Nothing happens. Do I, is this the part of my life where I go down there and I handle this? So I'm like, yes, it is. So I go down there, and he's like, what the fuck are you going to do? And I just knock him out, and I just throw heat on his face for, like, fucking just rights coming yeah. in fucking repeatedly, Tommy Gun style on his just jaw. Just like Black Sails in the pilot episode. A couple, couple <laughs> grasps of hair, and I pull this piece of shit out. This is, like, earlier in the day. He's like, if you want to know real shit, you'll get into some Ingve Malmsteen. And I'm like, the fucking guitar guy? <laughs> he's like, that's real shit. I'm like, okay, like clear, like in my yeah. head, I'm like, this is what the, you know, and you're looking at your mom, you're like, really? Ingve Momstein? This is the fucking guy. We're listening to the same conversation, right? Yeah. This is the missing piece to the family. <laughs> this is the fucking guy that's going to bring it home. Good job, mom. Have some more vodka. Everything's working out great. <laughs> so fucking. I bet it sounds great at two in the morning, but the middle of the afternoon, it's got, it sounds ridiculous, right? Seriously. How about 40 hours a week? Yeah. That's a little better than Ingve Momstein. Huh? A little paycheck, kid. <laughs> Try that out. Eating's phenomenal. <laughs> I love when I have breakfast. It's amazing. <laughs> Time and <of> responsibility. <laughs> oh shit! So I, so I, you know, I, I hand this piece of shit off. So I want to jump cut a little bit to uh, the other day. I was telling you, I don't even know if we were recording. You know, my dog, my neighbor's fucking pit bull killed my dog, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids are fucking heartbroken, right? So I'm running on a treadmill trying to lose a couple extra pounds, but I'm also trying to burn off the depression of this dog dying, right? It was yeah. the first family dog and everything. So I start thinking about this guy, this motherfucker that used to do this shit to my mom. Now, my mom wasn't a savior. It wasn't like she was Betty Crocker with the fucking apron on and some Italian animal came in and was punching Betty Crocker in the face. You know, yeah. my mom knew how to push Ingve's buttons. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great because I'm going back to Chicago I know his name. I know the neighborhood he lives in. If I just go to his house and I just fucking tune him up, like I just knock on the door, I drag him out, I just fucking shellack him for a little bit, yeah. I bring him right up to the point where he's like, I might die. What great joy would that bring? And it would really make this whole dog thing just disappear. It would really, yeah. it would really spackle up some of the emotional vacancies that I had, yeah, right? Yeah. But this is just my brain fucking with me. Yeah. No, 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 so no, like, no. Yep, yep, I, yep. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I'm not – I never really was that guy, but I hung out with guys like that. That's a whole other thing where, like, I thought, well, I'm, I'm hitting the street. So if I'm going to hit the street, then I'm not going to be a fucking soldier or a low bo- – you know, like a middle guy where I'm just going to get picked off. Like, if that's the case and I'm just going to be on the street. So I started running this crew, and I moved up really quickly, like – in two and a half months I had about 200 guys under me 150 to 200 guys at the top then 150 then 100 I let this Latin king in we were brokering some shit on the north side two blocks away from this meeting we're supposed to have I get tipped off that they're going to kill me so that was my 
that I got tipped to the hit. They were going to throw, kill me and throw me into the Belmont Rock. So I was like, ah, fuck, this is not the life for me. I'm going to go back. So I stepped, I'm just giving you an idea that like, yeah. I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? Right, I swam right, right. in those waters. I knew the psychopaths. I knew the real tough guys. I was close to them. They were my friends. If you could ever be friends with those guys. And I realized that's not who I am. So all of this information is playing while I'm on the treadmill, right? Like I'm not the guy. I, I, I played that role a little bit. I didn't like how it made me feel. It wasn't good. I want to be a good guy. I got kids now. I want to lead a good, wholesome life. But wouldn't it be fun to punch this guy in the face? It would make me feel amazing. I'm sober now. So I call my sponsor. I go, this is what I'm thinking. I get fine. He's like, yeah, pray on it. Do the thing. All right. So whoo, fucking great, right? So I go to Chicago. I go to a Blackhawks game with a friend of mine who's a cop. Six foot four, animal, fucking six-time super heavyweight champion boxing for the cpd we're sitting there and i'm telling him the whole thing this guy peed and fucking cigarettes a thing whole thing just like i just told you and i'm like so i'm just happy i'm not gonna do it he's like what the fuck you tell me this whole story we're not he goes i got a gorilla mask and an old man mask in the trunk of my fucking car right now he goes we're going i'm calling it in we're gonna fucking go get this guy and i'm like you're a cop motherfucker you're supposed to be like good i got a gorilla mask and an old man mask in the trunk of my car for just the occasion oh yeah he's like i'm like you're not supposed to you're supposed to give me an attaboy you're not supposed to be like i got clubs in the trunk yeah let's go to beating i'm like no so for the whole next week he's taking pictures of homicide scenes that he's at texting me going hey just found pete (laughs) i'm like no i don't want to it's so weird man when you go back home it's like those are there's no like how we started the conversation it's that thing in the town where it's like, listen, I, we got to go somewhere. We're going to go do something. And we can't talk about it now. We can never talk about it again. The guy's yeah. like, who's driving? <laughs> like, I was literally just telling a friend of mine that was a cop. Like, man, I'm just so excited I'm doing the right thing here. He's like, we'll taser his balls. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be amazing. Yeah. I'm like, no. We'll beat him with a phone book, man. They can never see the bruises. <laughs> like, it's all internal. That's not what I want to do, man. <laughs> I'm to take my kid for ice cream tomorrow. I can't have fucking blood on my knuckles. What's that's wrong with you? Crazy. When did you get sober? 12 years ago almost 12 years ago April will be 12 years like booze right around dude when you and I were I swear to god I remember I don't remember what the material is but I clearly remember watching you do a set at the uh, Hollywood Improv it's crazy so wait were you just booze or were you partying with other stuff uh, it was mo- yeah I mean gin and here's what here's what I would do I'd get a pint glass uh, of Bombay Sapphire and Tonic with two limes it had to be in a pint glass and a shot of tequila so I would drink, I would guzzle half the pint glass, do the shot of tequila, and then guzzle the other half, and then smoke a cigarette. And while I was smoking the cigarette, I'd order another round. And I was smoking like three packs of Marlboro Reds a day. Holy shit. So I was drinking about a bottle of Bombay and a bottle of tequila a day. And then cocaine a little bit towards the end, but I never really like... Cocaine always scared me, because yeah. um, I saw it immediately get the worst out of people. And also, like I never fully caught a Jones... But it was it started like circling me to where like when I would drink, it'd be like, you should fucking get cocaine right now. And the shit I saw people do for what would be like a thirty dollar bag. It's just it's just to extend your night by three hours. It's all it's all it's doing. It's no, I would I would drink usually for two or three days. Those were really? runs. Yeah. Like there was Holy I was shit. yeah, I was I wasn't like get drunk and then go to bed guy. Like wow. you know, listening to like your stories, like my shit was I'd always felt like First off, I'm never gonna live to 30. That's just a fucking given. Because my dad died when he was 22. Every no, every adult I saw was miserable. You know, just yeah. around me, that was just a fact. So I'm like, if being an adult's fucking miserable, well, then I'm never gonna become an adult. And I'm gonna ride this shit like reading books, like on the road and all the beat poets. I'm like, I'm gonna run this shit till the wheels come off. And then that's it. I'll check out at 30. And who gives a fuck? This is yeah. pre kids, pre really understanding what the fuck's going on. 
God, if I had a nickel for every time in my life, I just pulled an all-nighter and drank into the next day. And I just know that I took a couple months off my ticker that night where you just like parties in Soho where you're like, this is what life's about. Yeah. And now I'm sitting on the trampoline with my girls as they jump around me going, I'm getting chest pains. <laughs> I know. Well, it's so funny, man. You can't really – the whole point of my podcast – is to get honest talk like this without yeah. being cute about it or self-serving, particularly for young people and old people, man, to be like, look, it's never too late to just start doing the right thing. And by the right thing, I'm not telling you what's right or wrong. I'm yeah. just saying I didn't know the joy of watching kids jump on a trampoline. I had denied myself that because I was it's- a selfish prick thinking, oh, I know, instead of just opening myself up to what might be the right thing. Because if I knew what the right thing was, I would just go, oh, this is the right thing and I'll do it. There, there's, I'm, and I'm, I'll put it in perspective this way. There is also the time where you're doing the right thing but still doing the wrong thing. Like I didn't know the joys that a kid could bring you just watching him play in the backyard. But in that picture, I, I have an open bottle of wine. I'm not shitting on booze. I still drink. Yeah. But like I just, this is going to sound so pathetic, but I just got to the place where I can go to bed by myself now. Like I can lay down on a bed and fall asleep, and I don't need to pass out. Like that, that was a, that, 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 by the way, that's two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I just learned how to do that. I'm 41 years old and I just got to a place where I was like, I'm just exhausted from having to open up a bottle of wine at dinner and have a couple glasses of wine in order to be able to get myself in bed because the crazy talk starts yeah, happening yeah, yeah. then and I start fighting with people and I start defending myself yeah. to no one, to me, yeah, yeah, I start yeah. attacking myself. Then I have dreams that people are attacking me, but it's just me attacking me. So there's, but yeah, like I, I, you know. Being sober, man, was a real – I had to do it for pure functionality. Like I was going to die. Um, I've been with the same woman now for 20 years, maybe 21. So yeah. like you know, for the first nine of that, I was drunk, but now I'm in sober time. So you know, I owe it to her. The reason why I say that is I got these fundamental like living tools that I never got in the house that I grew up in. And it's funny that you say like you have all these conversations. Like my first sponsor said never have a conversation with someone who's not in the room. Oh, fuck, I wish I could do that. And I and I thought, well, how do I do that? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Because I'm like, that's when, that, whenever I'm alone, I did that those all last night. Yeah, all and last he's like, night. You just gotta get into the habit and the practice of realizing what's happening, and then just stopping that conversation. But how do you prepare yourself like, for the time when you do run into that person and you need to win the argument? <laughs> I know exactly. So all of these weird mental, but I had no. I was on this hamster wheel. That I had no idea how to get off of, and I'll bet, I'll bet. And this is the real beauty of podcasting, and why I love it so much is like, there was some guy that's listening right now, or woman that was like, probably had some shame or some anxiety or worry that they were not going to bed like you just talked about, and mm-hmm. you were just like, because it came from your heart and it was in the moment, and you're like, two weeks ago, when I'm 41, I just learned how to do this. That's the cool thing about podcasting, because there's no bullshit happening between you and me right now. Yeah. So someone else is listening, going. Fuck, I thought I was like the only one. Like I'm forty and I can't do this. Am I a fucking idiot? No. Yeah. I, I I was I was I mean this was this is not my program anymore, but it's it sounds horrific now that I say this out loud. But my plan my plan was party on the road, Monday night parties. I flew in, I drank and I partied Monday on the plane, and then I drink Monday night, open a bottle of wine Monday night. I, n- never, never would I just try to go to bed Monday night because I had figured I had drinks on the plane. I yeah. need to have a few drinks to wrap that around. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Send me into t- Tuesday. Tuesday, I take a Xanax at 4 o'clock. And then at 4 o'clock, I would start falling asleep around 8. 
and then I could get a, and then here's the whole key to that. I wanted the Xanax to wear off by the next day, yeah. so that I was awake and present the next day. So I would compromise actual awake time with my family so that I could be awake the next day. But that's Wednesday. I'm leaving Wednesday night uh, usually to go yeah. do the road. So I have so then I drink Wednesday night, and so it was like this weird. And then I got home. I don't know. I I got home from a trip, and I just was like, I need to. I need to really like deal with this and just go to bed. Just lay in bed and go to bed. And and it was like, I mean, a fucking career. But I got to the place where last night, Monday night, I came in. I drank on the plane Monday. Went right to bed Monday night. Oh, wow. Laid in bed, went to bed, went to bed last night. Fought all night. And I'll go to bed tonight. But uh, but that's a big deal. Now my next one is learning how to go to sleep on the road. It's tough, man. <laughs> it's super tough. I can't imagine. You know, I, was, I can do it with my trip flip crew. Like I'm good with them because it's they're eleven people, yeah. so it's like you're in a band. So, but when you're by yourself on the road, I'm in Syracuse this weekend. Oh fuck it's me, it's tough, man. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'll go somewhere to shoot. I was a binge drinker too, so I really relate to what you said. Like I wasn't drinking every day. I mean, because yeah. I, I, then I think I'd be dead. Like I, because I knew guys that drank. They tell me they drank just like I did, but every day. And I'm like, how the fuck are you walking the earth, man? Yeah. Like, it's, I would drink up for three days, and I'd just shut down for a day. So I'd lose that whole day. Oh, good. And I'd finally recoup, and then I'd come out, and I'd go like four days. Right, when you I start feeling Thursday. really good, yeah, you're like... like Phew, that was a weird patch yeah. of abnormalness. I'm glad that's never... <laughs> <laughs> so wait, let's talk about writing, because that's the, the most fascinating part of the podcast you did with... with and I. I hate to be doing a podcast about a podcast I listen to. <laughs> However, it's that good. I don't know what episode it is, but it is one of the top rated um, Crab Feast podcasts. It's uh-huh. like right up on top. Cool. I think I'm number two. So, <laughs> but uh, but um, you got into stand up, and then you got into like genuine writing for television. Yeah. What happened was, and you'll you, it's it's crazy, man, because we came up at the exact same time with all the same moves in comedy. So like. We started when single camera comedies hadn't even really come out yet. Yeah. So all of the comedies, like I did Montreal Comedy Festival in 2003 with Brett Ernst, John Caparulo, like really some great cats, you know? Yeah. And we killed it in Comedy Central and NBC Late Friday. I did all that shit when that was when I first moved here. And like, but all the comedies were like, you suck. No, you suck. Laugh track. And then you had to like hold the take. So you had to just like freeze your face. So like when I went in to, to do that, I just couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, and same with commercials. Like, they'd be like, you should go in for commercials. You got a great face and very... And so I'd go to commercials and they'd be like, all right, go ahead. And action. Domino's is amazing. Yeah. It was so over the top. I remember doing a joke. I remember doing an audition that I was like, there's no way I'll get this. I'm not right for this. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to try something out. And I remember what was working, what was selling at the time was the skinny... Uh, skinny neighbor, uh, younger brother who wore the f- waffle underneath and the t-shirt on top, and he was just coming to go. Well, I don't even know, man. Yeah. Like what the fuck? Like, it was so over the top <laughs> energy that no one really behaved like that. And I remember going in and doing an audition like that. She was like, "Oh my god, that was amazing. That's the part." And I was like, "She's gonna ask me to dial it back." She goes, "Can you give it more energy?" And I was like, "I'm like." I'm fucking out of this. There was no actual acting. There was no real oh, was, yeah. connecting yeah. with another person. And then it was family circus. It was just it was like yep. a Sunday funny. So I'm in the midst of this, and I'm like, I, none of this makes me feel good. And I got a one year. I mean, we're dirt poor out here, and I'm like, 
what am I going to like? I'm trying to play the game. I don't really understand it. I'm doing sets at night that are fucking, you know, standing ovation, half stand, you know. Am I reinventing the wheel? No. I was more performing than material. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it was big, but it was all sizzle, not a lot of steak. I just wasn't there yet as a comic, but I was still having fun. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So then I go to do this other stuff, and I'm like, so I'm in this commercial audition, man. And I'm like, they're, they're bringing five guys in at a time. And I'm at the breaking point where I'm like, none of this makes sense. None of this makes me feel good. I don't, even if I get this, like, am, am I going to be miserable? Is the money going to erase how fucking miserable I am? And right now, anyone listening, you got to understand, the, what, 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 and, I, and I, I'll tell you what I, what I connect with what you're saying is, there's no attachment to the character you're portraying to these people. Like, you're just doing, it's like, imagine, it is the equivalent of blackface. It is you just feel dirty because you're doing these auditions and your energy is so high. No one behaves like that. It is you, dude. Your mom bought Adele. It is that character. Not to shit on that guy. And I would rather uh, and was working the worst jobs ever to try to get something creatively satisfying. So yeah. I didn't want to work the worst jobs ever to then do this thing that you're talking about to be so not satisfied for money. And you know. Maybe it was the right thing. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. That's just who, who I was and what I felt at that moment. So yeah. I'm in this audition and they got – it's the creative directors from the ad agency, the guy from Sears, the casting director. They're bringing five guys in at a time. They got a stool with a gold-wrapped present on it and then another stool that's got like a little boombox on it. And at this point, they were like – the last three auditions I had for commercials, they're like, you write the ad. Whatever comes to you, just however you. And I'm like, you're not even gonna fucking write the ad. Like, I'm gonna come in and I make shit up and and do everything. Like, live cereal, live cereal. I booked a live cereal commercial, and he's like, can you find a good ending for us? Yeah, I'm like, so they're making the speech, and they're like, here's the deal. This was three months before Christmas, so they're getting ready to shoot the Christmas spots. So they're like, all right, you walk in and you see the present. Now, you're all tremendously talented comedians. I want you to pick the box up. We're going to play a little music, do some physical comedy with it. Guess what it is? It has to be something from Sears, and it has to be something that's amazing and brings true joy to your heart, and then set the box down and throw a tag to the camera. So the first guy goes, I'm number two, and I'm like, fucking shoot me. Like, And then there's this voice in my head, right? We all have it. This voice in my head goes, Burn this to the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, what's that crazy voice in my head? Like, I have a son at home. We can't even buy Similac formula and have both my wife and I eat. Like, this would be an amazing opportunity. At least we could pay off all of our... Burn it to the ground. <laughs> Torch it! So the guy it. picks up the box and he's like, honey... Is this a Makita saw? The very thing I've been looking for. Oh, I love Sears. Fuck. The guy hits play, Bert, on the fucking boombox it's but it's the fucking benny hill song and so oh the guy's like oh, oh and he's like bobbling the box and he's like i don't want to drop my saw <laughs> oh my god and i'm so about to fucking it, throw up he sets it down and he's like i love sears like that's like how cheesy's tag was and everyone's like oh really good and the other guys have to look at each other like fucking great actor really good they're like high-fiving him as he walks to the back of the line so like all right mick you're next so i go okay i slate mick bencourt Really happy for the opportunity, guys. Here we go. Let's let's do this. So I pick up the box and I go, and I and I hold the box and I look into the camera and I go, "Hey, Mandy, it's 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 Mick. I'm just sending you this little video message. I've got this present here. It's a Yadro figurine of a young couple holding hands and cussed over the uh, over the hands of the couple is a two carat pure diamond engagement ring from De Beers that I bought you and I was going to propose to you." 
uh, this Christmas Eve until I found out you were fucking Tom, you filthy fucking whore. And I kicked the box and it goes flying over their fucking heads. And they're like, whoa, God, God, what are you doing? And then the guy from Sears goes, the Sears product can't make you sad. Yeah. And I'm like, what? So I go, you know what? I'm sorry. And like the guys next to me are like, what the fuck just happened? So I go, all right, it was a little out of the box. It was a little big. As we all know, I think it's easier to bring it down than it is to take it up. Yeah. I said, I just took it. Sometimes you take creative risks. They don't pay off. Clearly, this is an example of that. (laughs) I go, let me take it from the top, guys. And I really feel like I understand where this needs to go. And I really feel like I'm going to bring it home for Sears right now. (laughs) So like, Jesus Christ. Okay, fine. One more take. Way down. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, here we go. Pick the box up. And I go, man, you fucking whore. I swear to God. And I kick the box again. And I just fucking walk out. I call my commercial agent. She's like, how do you go? It was between you and five guys for the national spot. I go, you know what? I think think you're going to get a call today. I think you're really going to get a call. Stay by the phone. (laughs) I don't know how it's going to go. I I had a a commercial where we had to eat a Carl's Jr. uh, $6 burger. In 30 seconds. That was the commercial. They'll be going in there like... There's just they, a stack of burgers. There's a stack of fucking burgers. Like, oh, grab a burger. Shit, fucking cold now. And go. And I was like, fucking seriously? <laughs> and I was like... I know I was on a diet at the time. And I was like, this is not a great... This is like 12,000 calories of an audition. But I did it. I fucking killed it. I couldn't get it in 30 seconds, though. And they're like, we can edit it together and speed it up. I was like, no. I'm going to fucking choke. You know, I've done... Some of the worst fucking jobs on earth. It just felt so hypocritical to come all the way out here and then travel across the country and camp out. I did the whole cheesy lived in my car for a little bit. I sofa surfed for six months before my wife came out because I just didn't have money to have us both live out here. Yeah. And like, it just felt fucking dirty to do that, man. To like make the thing that I was going after, you know, tarnish like that. But to answer your question, man, so I started going out. As an actor for dramas, because I just couldn't get in. I just, it was like double dutch. I just couldn't find the timing for those half hour th- three cameras. And so I started booking roles is in dr- drama, dramatic TV. Yeah. Pilots. I did a thing on CSI Miami. So I booked this Bruckheimer pilot and I'm, I play one of the bad guys in it. I start talking to the guy who created the show and a young cat out of San Francisco. And I'm like, listen, man, what happened to Ferrillo? And like Crockett and Tubbs, man, just fucking characters. Like all the dramas are like body of the week. Who gives a fuck? I don't give a shit. Yeah, like yeah. It's they are. Like, they were all like that yeah. body of the week. And I'm like, where's the fucking guys I want to spend time with, man? <clears throat> the men and women that I show up with every week to go on this journey with. And he's like, yeah, man, I get it. So he's like, but they paid me a shitload of money to do this and I'm doing it. So I'm like, oh, all right. It's the pilot. They aired one and it was over. And uh, you've had these moments in your career where I'm like, I got to take some action here and I'm afraid and I don't know if I'm going to come off looking like a fool here, but I reached out to him and I said, listen, man, you're a drama guy. I'm known mostly as a comic and a dramatic actor. I want to get into dramatic writing, but I don't really know how. Can I take you out to lunch? I'm not asking, I'm not pitching you anything, but I would like, I said, here's my version of uh, this is a comedian. Someone says, hey, come see my show. You go see their show. They bomb. But then when they come up to you after the show, they're like, was that the funniest shit ever? And there is a real honest true disconnect from the quality of their work and their perception of the work and that's my fear 
is to be super passionate about something that has no merit and has no value. That I just become delusional about something because I love it so much. Yeah. So I said, listen, man, can I just tell you this idea and then you as a drama writer who's gotten shows produced, you tell me if I should commit my time and energy to pursuing that and going down the road or am I completely delusional? Okay. And he's like, done, man. We'll meet. We'll, we'll go. So we went to... Uh, Man, he's on Fairfax, and I said, all right, man, here's the world, here's the characters, here's what I think the pilot would be, and uh, he's like, dude, that's great, we'll go out with that. I'll go out with that with you, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. He's like, we'll pitch it together. Yeah. He goes, I don't want to gank your idea, man, but I really feel like I can add some value, we'll write it together, we'll go pitch it. So I'm like, oh, dude, that's incredible, yes, but that's not, I go, just so you know, I didn't bring you here to do that, but like, yeah. if that's what you want to do, I'm in, man, that's so exciting. So we go and we pitch it to the production company he has a deal with. Then we take it to Paramount where the production company has a deal with. And now we're going to go into CBS, right? I've never pitched anything. I pitched comedies, but not like... I can't imagine it. I would love to pitch a serious thing. Because in a comedy pitch, you are dependent on how it goes in the room. Yeah. Like in a serious yes. one, it's just got to be... It's like playing music. Which is so like tragic and unfortunate for the comics like to have to go in it's it's like you you can murder in a nightclub and they want you to walk into a room with two people that haven't had their coffee and then murder them it has nothing to do it's with really hard and it, and i and there's no way to put it in perspective to people listening but to go into a room where there are half the people are in there to support you and then half the people are in there supporting you but they need you to prove that the idea you have is good and funny yeah You've, and and oddly enough cbs uh uh the the women that run cbs are very are i've known for 13 years they've been there forever they are the backbone of cbs comedy yeah they are fantastic but they are notoriously and i've never had this with me with them because i've, I've always known them in a different way but uh um, but they're notoriously dry, and they're not—they're not big laughers. So you go in and to have oh, yeah. a pitch. Even where you're, when you're testing for a pilot, you have all the executives oh, in a room, and they're fuck. just looking. They're not—they're not really giving you a lot. And you know, if the mentality behind that is to ice you to see how you deal with the pressure there to make sure, you know, it's like Glenn Gary, think, Glenn Ross. Think, if think, you can't yeah. deal with this, what the fuck are you going to do on a set? Ultimately, they're really like—they're really like it's not funny. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of times they're just like it's not making me laugh. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't blame them. It, it's really hard to make. It's not really hard to make me laugh. I'd be a great networking sec. <laughs> I'd be doubled over on the fucking desk, pass, unbutton pass, my shirt. Pass. It's <laughs> You're making everything. So you go in and you pitch. So, well, first off, at this point, we're about a. This is a cheesy Hollywood story, man. We're about a week from having to go home. My son's two. All credit cards maxed out. I'm a week from having to make the call. Did you move out here with your son already born? No, he was born out here. Okay. So it was my, we're living um, in Sherman Oaks adjacent, which we all know is Van Nuys. Yeah. I'm at Sepulveda and Magnolia in like this crazy fucking building. And so the morning of the pitch at CBS, we had a 94 Cavalier that we shipped out from Chicago because it wouldn't have made the drive. We put it on a train. <clears throat> all rusty Midwest car with one fucking hubcap. I go to start it to go, and it was at CBS Pico, so it's over the hill. No gas. So I'm like, and literally when I say no money left, no money left. So there was no credit cards. There was no cash. We were, it was over. It was over. And I'm like, how fucking so close? And now it's over. So my wife's like, I think they sent a credit card but I lost it. And I'm like, well, we got to find it. So we tear this little one-bedroom apart. We had a little file cabinet. We take all the folders out. It had slipped between two folders. 
call the 800 number on the back. The lady's like, we sent that out two years ago. I'm like, total emergency. I need $30 on this thing. She's like, you got $30 and that's it. And it's at like 29% interest. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I need $30 right now for gas in my car to go to a job interview. She's yeah. like, all right, you got it. Puts it on. Go to the Shell station over at Burbank and Sepulveda. Yeah. Fly over the hill. It's all the people from CBS you're talking about, the people from Paramount, the people from um, Scott Free, Ridley and Tony Scott's production company. We're sitting in there. Me and this kid, Vince, are pitching the show. And uh, they're like, okay, thanks. I'm like, all right. So we're waiting by the elevator. And uh, David Zucker goes, you know what? Let me go back in and just check and see if they need anything and just follow up on the pitch. So he goes in. And I'm talking to Vince. I'm like, how do you think it goes? How do you think it went? He's like, ah, it's all right. So I'm like, cool. So David comes back. He goes, hey, congratulations. And I'm like, oh, they liked it? He's like, oh, no, they bought it. So I'm like all right, that's cool. I'm like chewing the inside of my cheek because yeah. you know, when you go in and pitch something, you negotiate how much it's going to be before you go in. Yep, and, and there are many times where you're waiting in the lobby and your meeting's at 3 and it's 3.15 because the business affairs hasn't greenlit yes. the deal. That because they me. don't want to get excited about something and then have to negotiate it and they lose the power in that. So I knew what I was going to get. It was 130 grand divided by two. That's for this for great. this for this pilot i didn't have gas money to get to the pitch so i'm trying to not even think about that dollar number or what it would do to my life at that time yeah. with a kid i'm like i just got to make this about this story and servicing this right it's and, and uh, not to once again and i know everyone knows what it's like but when you're in hollywood those are life preservers like that is i remember those moments where you're driving to an audition and you're like i need this to get I need this to get things. I need yeah, yeah. this to make everyone happy. Yeah. There's a lot on my fucking shoulders today. More than just this fucking oh, yeah. audition. Yeah, I know at that. At this point in time, I was working at Starbucks, and I was eating. We would write down the broken muffins. You know, you just write them off, and yeah. they'd, they'd go to throw them out. I would eat those. My wife was working at a hotel, so she would eat there. And then I was making $220 every two weeks, and that was going towards Similac Baby Formula. Yeah. So I was eating muffins. My wife was eating hotel cafeteria food that they would give her. For, we you were, guys were using Similac? You are Puerto Rican. <laughs> son, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pounding it. So maybe my son wasn't even – he had to be younger because he was on baby formula. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I'm chewing the inside of my cheek like you got to act like this is normal and that this didn't just fucking literally save your life. And so I'm like, all right, cool. That's great, guys. Good job. Looking forward to following up on what's next. And so – I ran to farmer's market because I knew they had pay phones in the back because I, my cell phone had been turned off months before because I didn't yeah. have any money. And so I call collect to my wife and just start sobbing like they bought it. Like I couldn't even entertain the idea that they could buy it in the room. I didn't yeah. even know. I thought there was a whole other set of things that were going to happen. And uh, it changed my life, man, because one, that put my foot in the door for writing. But two, for people that are just listening, you're thinking, man, that is an exorbitant amount of money. And it is. But my cut of that is $65,000. Half of that goes to taxes. 10% goes to my agent. 15% goes to my manager. 5% goes to my lawyer. So I wound up with about 20, 21000 yeah. of that, So, which was still phenomenal. I took 10 of that, and I just chopped down some bills right away. And we had 11000 to live on. So imagine making 11000 a year because that's what I made for the whole next year. They shot. They didn't shoot the pilot. I wrote it. I co-wrote it with a guy. It was my first foot in the door for dramatic writing. And they're like, "Nah, we're not going to make it, but good job, guys. And I didn't work for a whole year after that trying to get job as a writer. But because I co-wrote it with him, I needed to write an original piece of work. Yeah. 
So I told my agent, she goes, well, this is a very edgy script, so you should write like edgy cop shows. So I go, okay. I go, well, what's an edgy cop show? Because, you know, when you have kids, you don't watch television. You're, everything's yeah. on the kid. So she goes, The Shield, The Shield's edgy show. So I go, okay. So I go to Fry's and I buy the DVDs of The Shield and I start watching them and I'm like, fuck, how, do I, how would I even write something like this? So it showed bonus features and then it said, in the writer's room. <laughs> so I go, cha-ching. I start watching it. It's Sean Ryan, but behind him is a corkboard. And it said like episode 301 and then it said teaser, act one, act two, and then it had index cards underneath it. So I go, holy shit. So I freeze framed it. I walked up to the TV and I'm like, that's an episode. So I took a legal pad and I wrote out, I made that like that was the corkboard and I made as many squares as were on his board. Mm-hmm. I filled each one of those squares with the story idea that I would want. I just watched the last ep- the episode of the season and wrote what I thought would be the episode after that. Wrote that. Gave that to her. She sent that out. You know, it would be almost like your audition, not your audition reel, but, you know, like a set. When yeah. a comedian, you film a set and you send that out and that's kind of like your calling card. Yeah. Well, you write a spec script and that's your calling card as a writer. I got hired on Law & Order SVU from that, spe- from that script. Really? Yeah. So they were hiring writers. They were hiring staff writers. They read that script. They really liked it. And how the process works is first they will read you. And then if they like your writing, they'll bring you in to meet and possibly be a part of the show. But a writing room is very much like a casting thing because they want people, a diverse writer's room, to bring a lot of different points of view so that they're kind of covering a lot of bases. And can you sit in a room for 12 hours a day and not bogart the whole room? You know, Do you have the personality to... (laughs) But that's all the little nuances that I had no idea... That, that was, and then I worked on that show for three years, and that was the first uh, shut up first time that that was my foot in the door. And then, and then does now, and then what you go from there, and do you, do do you have to like? I always I always think like I have a buddy who's got a new show coming out on NBC. Um, I don't. It's about the deaf or the blind dad. I forget the name of it. Growing up, Fisher. Yeah. Or it's David J. Nash, DJ Nash. Okay. He, I was in his. I was a comic. I started with him. The first pilot I ever did at CBS was with him. It was his, and with the blind dad was Elliot Gould this time. But I always just assume that once you get in the door, you got to get kicked out. Is that true? No, because we went on strike. Oh fuck! And uh, what a shit dick thing for them to do to you. I was there like six months, and we went on strike. And then when um, the strike ended, we came back. And like three, there was a Dartmouth lawyer to my left and a Brown lawyer to my right. And those guys got let go. And I just stared at my office door of like, if those guys are getting let go. So the, I don't know what the rhyme or reason. I mean, those were out of, way out of my pay grade at the time. Yeah. But like, I know guys that haven't worked since the strike, like producers from The Wire. Like really? legit, like world-class shows. Like, I don't know why it is that I've continued to work, but, you know, I... I don't know, like, the the longest that I've been off of work since Law & Order SVU, minus the time that we were off for the strike, has been about four months. So I've done uh, Black Donnelly's, Law & Order SVU, Detroit 187, uh, break, uh, Breakout Kings, Mob Doctor, Chicago Fire. I thought Ironside. Mob Doctor was going to be fucking huge. I know. I thought that was. I thought that was going to be fucking huge. I love. I love those kinds. Of, my that is my dad. Right now, my dad would be like. My dad would be like. My dad will end up listening to this and he'll be like, "Buddy, buddy, buddy, you got. There's a lot of questions you got to ask him. I mean, these are really great shows. This is what I watch. When we went back to Mob Doctor, it was the first time I worked in Chicago, 
on anything. The stage was a mile from where I used to panhandle on the corner. Really? I mean, I, I, every day I, was, I, I would like have to excuse myself and I would get teary-eyed because it was just sheer joy and gratitude. The first day of shooting, we were in an empty lot next to the prison that my mother was in when she, my mom robbed a bank yeah. where she served time. Right over the, Tell that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to tell it? Yeah, please. All right, so... By the way, I find... <laughs> I find so many parts. What time do you have to get out of here? What you time is it now? It is 940, 9.45. Yeah, we're good. I'm going to be a little late. Okay. What are you working on now? Chicago Fire. Really? Yeah. That shoots in Chicago. God dang. It's crazy, man. Yeah. and um, it's. Will uh, you go up to Chicago at all? For um, like- well, right now I'm a consulting producer on it, so I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but I'm actually on script right now, so... I'll, What's consulting producer mean? Well, I'll go in. I'll help him break story. Uh, we'll run any casting ideas together. Just like have an extra pair of eyes and ears in the room. Uh-huh. Um, and I've worked with the executive producer before on Breakout Kings, so I kind of have a shorthand with him, and he can just be like, "I need this, this, and this done," and then I can help. It's <laughs> what a great it. set of fucking. I like. I'm going to say this. I fucking hate how I can't just compliment someone. I need to compliment me to compliment them. <laughs> I was explaining to uh, Tom Segura and Mo Mandel. Uh, I was no, I was. Explaining- I'm doing a show with Mo Sunday at Flappers. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's gonna be a long night. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking. Love I want to be in a green room with you. One of my favorite things being in a comedy club is when you're in the green room and there's like eight <laughs> comics, and then all of a sudden, like the tornado starts, yeah. or like the ball busting starts, <laughs> and then it lands on you, and you have to fight to get it off as quickly as possible, and then you start making fun of someone else, and then everyone's like, "Oh yeah, now we're gonna make fun of this guy." <laughs> I've never cried. The- Harder with laughter than those moments where you just have people with razor sharp. The ball best one, skills. the best one ever. You ready for this? Yeah, the best one ever I've been ever been on. We did a show called Reality Bites Back. I did it with Mo, Mo, Chris Fairbanks, Donnell Rollins, Red Grant, me, Theo Vaughn, Amy Schumer, uh, Kyle Cease. What? Uh, Tiffany Haddish. I'm trying to remember this is everyone. The cast of the show. Jeff Garcia. Yeah, it was fucking. It. I mean, they could have. Uh, there, it, it was a missed, and the host was Michael Ian Black. I'm sitting with Donnell and Red, and I've always I've always gotten along easier, quicker. I think sometimes with Black comics, um, usually because we all partied together at some point. So, and Donnell and I have definitely partied together. And Donnell, uh, Kyle Cease comes up, and Kyle Cease is playing an angle. Do not let me forget to tell you all the things I, I want to talk to you about. So Kyle Cease is playing an angle that every week it's a reality show. Every week he'll wear a different hat. Week one. Week two, week three, and he has 13 hats printed out, and he also has other hats that he's going to change out <coughs> all day long. He'll be changing out hats, and the first hat he rolls up with is week one, and fucking Donnell sees this, and Kyle just comes up very innocent and Kyle-esque to Donnell, <laughs> who grew up on the streets of Baltimore, waiting for his dad to pick him up. Donnell's got a very real life, much like you, and Kyle, Donnell just sees him, rolls his eyes, and goes... That's right, son. You are the weak one. <laughs> Your hat should just say weak. <laughs> and Kyle, Kyle's with Chris Fairbanks and Mo Mandel as fucking. And Kyle goes, well, I think I think it would be spelled differently. Um, Donnell and Donnell goes, not in my neighborhood. You just need hats to say weak, son. And Chris Fairbanks starts backing off. I go, where? And I and I'm sitting there laughing. I go, Chris, where are you going? And he goes, I'm afraid I'm next. <laughs> Donnell dismantled Donnell dismantled Mo Kyle I remember being in a van and Donnell 
tore Mo apart. I'll never. F- uh, Mo, I hope to God you're listening to this, and I hope you have perspective of how funny this was, because I know this was not funny for you at the time. But we were in a van, and we are, I think there's Comedy Central executives in there, and Mo said a joke. Mo was all about bits, and Mo made a joke, and Donnell goes, Mo, whoever told you you were funny? <laughs> and Mo goes, What do you mean? He goes, Well, everyone in this van at one point have been told. They were funny, but I don't think you. Anyone's ever said you were funny because I don't think you're funny, Mo. And Mo goes, Mo goes. I swear to God, Mo goes. My mom. <laughs> and Donnell lost his shit. Your mom doesn't count, Mo. Your mom can't tell you you're funny to be a comedian. It's got to be other people. And another person. And he goes, Well, no. My mom said I'm really funny. And it, was, it was. We were laughing so fucking hard. And Donnell is just this. He, he was like. Oh, was it, but I love that. Like Donnell's one of the fucking greatest guys, and I. But me and him always connected just because I don't know. I think. I Do you think, remember Burns? Where you like play playground Burns? Yeah. Did you call him Burns? Where we, you just like all of a sudden people would walk up and there'd be like three or four dudes oh. that walk up and they just start making fun of you, dude. And you had to just you weren't swinging. You would just have to verbally respond in a way to beat that shit down. And so you would think of Burns that you would bring to the to the schoolyard the next day. Oh. I'm 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 going through anxiety right now because I'm doing a roast with uh, Jim Norton, Nick DiPaolo, Bobby Kelly. Oh, on Comedy Central? No, oh, my buddy Cowhead is retiring his name, Cowhead, and so he's it's a funeral, <laughs> but he's going to do a roast. So he's flying us all down there to do a roast on his radio show. Uh, and so, and all I'm thinking is, I'm going to be fucked. My feelings are going to get hurt. Like, Nick DiPaolo yeah. does not know who I am, but I'm sure whatever little research he does, it's going to fucking tear him apart. Now, let's get back to the, the, the uh, what I wanted to talk about. Um, so I was saying to, I was, I was not saying this to, I don't know who the fuck I said this to, but w- the point is a compliment to you. The skill set you've gotten working on these shows, the muscle, it's all about muscles. The more muscles you have in comedy, the better. So like, just like working out, you when you host a TV show, you're not no one's good at it originally. But if you host it long enough and they let you do it long enough, you end up forming a muscle that teaches you how to yes. host. If it, uh, hosting, I've hosted shows since the beginning of what I it's what I've done always, and it was always uh, technically easy money because a lot of times they just want someone for a sizzle, and so they bring you in for like fifteen grand for a day, and all you had to do was just. Make everything understandable. Yeah. Explain what is happening to the audience back and forth. And those were those were sizzle reels. It's dumb. I'm not saying that's what you get per episode, but that's a sizzle yeah. reel for one day to do a pilot or a weekend or whatever. Um, but I've learned to host, and I've and I love hosting. I actually love hosting. I think it's the purest uh, can you know connection to my. Now you're like host your own fucking podcast, asshole. <laughs> but what you've learned is is a muscle that no comic has. No comic has a knows even how to have a shorthand with an executive producer or even how to storyboard anything or even how to talk in a writer's room. That's a muscle we don't learn in, until we get our own sitcom or yeah, until yeah, our friend yeah. puts us on a sitcom or until our friend puts us on a show. So it's Which a, is an odd hierarchy because it puts a lot – like it is trial by fire. Like you must hit the ground running like you know what you're doing and play catch up very fast, which <clears throat> you know now there's show writing. Like WG has a show writing training program and I think now that – you know, accessibility to cameras and production shit that when you and I started, we couldn't even imagine like 
you can buy a black magic cinema camera now that shoots in 4k for a thousand dollars yeah i mean and shoot a movie like it's crazy even on an iphone if you wanted to or an ipad so that you're learning that type of functionality which we couldn't you know Law and Order SVU is still shooting on film on 35 millimeter when really? I started. Now then they went to oh. a Genesis, and now I didn't even know they're probably shooting on an Alexa, but like or a Red. I've shot you know all these little digital things that you and I could rent right now, and we could shoot a pilot in your man cave. All things considered, low end two thousand, calling in favors and getting high end editing and post, which is where shows really made for five grand, a broadcast quality show. Yeah, so it's. It's crazy. I mean, this is an insanely exciting time. And the kids that are starting right now, they don't give a shit. They've got YouTube right now. And they can put YouTube and Vimeo and all kinds of other shit. And they can build up their audience. There's people, they haven't really figured out how to monetize yet, but it doesn't matter. That's going to come. Yeah. You've got 30 million people watching your shit a month. And it's a YouTube channel. People have to take notice. Even though they want to pretend it doesn't exist, that's where it's all going. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I, I, just, I just think it's just such a neat... Like I was saying, and I, and, I, and I was saying this, and then I was like, and then hearing you say it, I was like, oh, maybe I should. But like I, I had a conversation with someone. It was not Mo or Tom, but it was the next day we were doing something, and they were like, I've always wanted to do a travel show. And I said, oh, you should do it. And they're like, yeah, but I don't. And, and it's so funny. My dialogue with the network is so simple that I know what they're looking to buy, and I know what they're looking to program. Uh, but that doesn't behoove me because I'm already in a deal and I'm already doing something. Yeah. And I and I, and they were like, "Well, would you just produce it?" What's so interesting is I was like, "You know what? I bet I could produce travel shows for them because I also know how to tell a comic to be a comic. Mm-hmm. Like I also know how to tell a comic. Like this is what you need. You don't need to be funny. You just need to be listening. All if you just listen, the funny shit will come out. You, all the funny shit you use, they're never going to use half of it. Only because they don't need to. It's not comedy dependent. We're not making a Comedy Central show. We're making a Travel Channel show. And then I was like, I should do a production company and start bringing in comics that I know can host and doing sizzle reels for cheap, real cheap, because I'm telling them, let's do it. We'll get you the deal you want afterwards. I know how a comic's brain works. Yeah. You know, give me bare minimums to qualify me for a day. There are a lot of guys that do it for free. We do sets for free. Yeah. So, um, but I was like... Well, you'll wait till you get that headache because I've done, you know, I've produced spec half hours and stuff you know there were guys are like oh you can run a show yeah i've run three writers rooms now let's do this and it's it's so that's when you want to talk about working a muscle that's when your producer muscle you know i've got a show which dude you have to do called the radford hall show the next one's march 15th if you're in town it's sold out for five and a half years i'm gonna keep going yeah so like there's no industry there there's no comics there it's just a line down the fucking block for every show you gotta bounce you get it no god damn it that was hang on one second Hang on one second. Give me two seconds. Yeah. I didn't fucking realize that was today. Oh, you get a little no, reminder? No, I'm fucking. Is this the day you have to be president of Uruguay? No, this is I have a creative call that I thought was at 11 o'clock. I thought it was 11 o'clock our time. <laughs> I guess it was 11 o'clock. Uh, oh. Hang on one second. New York? Yeah, yeah. No, it's 11 o'clock Denver time. What? Uh, that doesn't matter. They, the show produces itself. I don't have uh here, let me just call in and tell them that I will talk to Eric about everything. Um This uh, is this is the shit that people are gonna cut out and then put on their uh iPods when they're doing Mac sets for the day to really like this part of the podcast. Yeah. This is the real intense shit. Like us checking our phones. Yeah. This is like This is where they go. This is how I know it's a podcast, it's real. 
the, today's 300. <laughs> Let's see how late I am. Oh, they're conferencing you in? Hey, guys. I thought it was 11 o'clock Pacific time. No, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Motherfucker. Are you guys on? Are you? I'm sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. Okay. Oh, hold on. My phone's dying. I'm going to call you back in two seconds. Sorry, sorry. No, Eric, I know you're listening to this podcast. My phone didn't die, but I'm in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I'll call back in like five minutes. We're going to wrap it up. He's got to go to work, but I want to hear the story about his, when his mom robbed the bank. Eric, if you're listening, Bert is literally wearing an I Heart Eric shirt. Will you do me a favor? Will you take a meeting with Eric so that if Eric ever wants to get into scripted <clears throat> development, then he'll be like, you know what? Fuck the conference call. Here's the deal. You ready for the travel show? Yeah. You and me yeah. with our kids. Two dads that used to be total fucking animals that are now traveling around with the kids. That's the show. And we take our kids to Ibiza? Yeah, we just take them. We're like, and this we is- find family-friendly things to do <laughs> yeah. in Ibiza. This is fun. They got people to watch you here. Bert and I are going to go for a walk. <laughs> so, all right, you've got to go to work. Oh, I've got a conference call. Me Tell me about the story when your mom robbed a bank. All right, so first off, I was... In my mid twenties, and um, so my friend Dave J, who's now at the big party in the sky, came over and he had ten DVD players. He w- his dad was a fence and he was a fence. A fence is you know is a yeah. cat that sells stolen merchandise. He broke or stolen merchandise in Chicago. So I was living in um, Jefferson Park at the time. So he's like, "Listen, man, I think I'm. I think they're watching me. I got ten DVD players." I need a hundred for each one. Take whatever you want off the top, and I'm like, "Sweet, I'll move them for a buck fifty. Free money did that I did not expect. Yeah. So I'm living in a in a garden apartment at the time, and I stack them against my wall in the uh, living room. Right. I'm not shitting you. I sit down, knock on the door. I think it's him. I think he left some in the apartment. I open it up. FBI, open the fucking door. I'm like, motherfucker. I'm going down for these goddamn DVD players. I've had them five fucking minutes. God. So I open the door and I don't let him in. I'm just standing. I'm like, "Hey, uh, what? What can I? What's going on with you guys?" <laughs> and they're like, "Where were you today?" We know they go, "Where were you this morning?" I go, uh, "I was at work, Home Depot. I uh, delivery driver over there." Really? Can you prove that? I go, "Yeah, yeah. This time card is on camera. Everything." They go, "Well, all right, because your mom robbed Forest Park Federal Bank this morning." And I go, "Oh Jesus, thank God." <laughs> They're like, what? And I'm like, nothing. nothing. Oh, <laughs> it's like, fucking- this isn't about DVD players? <laughs> They're looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? And I'm like, no, it's a whole, yeah, well, fucking, she loves the vodka, so I don't know. I, I got nothing. I'll fucking, I have, I have no idea. You can go check Home Depot, Niles, whole thing, fucking, whatever. It's close the door. Phone rings. My uncle, my mom's brother's like, yeah, your mom robbed the bank this morning. Total fucking shitstorm. So here's what happened. <clears throat> my mom troubled. My mom never lived an easy day in her entire fucking life, man. Every day was a goddamn burden. Why do I think she looks like Tanya Harding struggle. for some reason? Almost, yeah. Oh, red, red, shut red up. haired. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good call, man. Good call. And uh, so anyway, what happened is this is right around the time where like you could still have like long distance was a separate bill, local call yeah. was a separate bill. On your internet, if you went over a certain amount of time, you got billed. Like, you know what I mean? So she met this cat named Vinny Valero online, and they started having a romance online. And she would talk to Vinny. Vinny was from Florida. They talk on the phone. And so my mom's drinking. She's not working. The bills are stacking up. 
her ability to just live life is so she starts fantasizing about what life what life would be like with Vinny in Florida. So she's like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna hit a bank, take the money, and I won't even go back to my apartment. I just drive straight to Florida." So she goes in and she robs the bank with a note saying, "I'm being held hostage." And unless I think she asked for thirty five hundred dollars, like it wasn't even a lot of money. Jesus Christ! So she goes and she hits the bank and they get she parks two blocks away. It's all fucked up. She didn't even throw the blankers on. <laughs> like just it was a mess. She's running down the street, the wigs half cocked, fucking glasses falling off her face, just a mess. She got a mustache she on. To, to time to see, yeah, Groucho Marx got an operation. So she gets to her car, black caprices everywhere. They hook her up. They take her downtown to the MCC. So it's all f- fuck odd, you know what I mean? But it's my mom, so we it's we we that's just the way that it is. Like she would carry around a, a derringer with her, and she'd pull it out, and she cops would arrest her for pulling guns. I mean, so it wasn't like super far fetched, yeah, but yeah, this yeah. was uh, it had started to escalate. So Vinny calls my uncle. Now my uncle and my mom don't really get along really well, and my uncle is a, can be a fucking legit hardcore motherfucker. So yeah, Vinny's calling. And he goes, listen, I, I love uh, your sister. Obviously, she's got some problems. And my uncle's like, you think? She fucking <laughs> robbed a bank today. What the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah, she's got problems. And Vinny goes, well, listen, I got something to say. And my, my uncle's like, you're hemming and hawing, kid. Like, I don't, my spider senses are tinkling. You got, something's up with you. And you either tell me what it is or I find out. Either way, we're going to know what it is. And Vinny goes, all right, well, listen. And hopefully you can tell your sister this. <clears throat> but... I'm actually a woman. And Mark was like, what, what, what did you just say? And she goes, yeah, I posed as a guy online, but I'm really a woman, and I never really had the heart to tell you. My uncle's like, it's, and then Vinny goes, do you think she's going to be mad? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> she robbed the fucking bank. It's like, my uncle's like, you know how like when some people say, oh, she's going to kill you? Yeah. She's, she's literally going to kill you. She's going to get out of prison and she's going to find you and then she's going to take your life. But my uncle's like, oh, I'll tell her. <laughs> so he goes down to the MCC downtown in Chicago and tells my mom, hey, by the way, just so you know, Vinny is a woman. Oh, and so my mom just nods her head, leaves, makes a shank. And then just the next morning, just starts stabbing any Italian she can find. Oh, shut <laughs> the fuck <laughs> <gah, gah, gah. laughs> Causes a riot in the prison. They got to shackle her up and transfer her out to another prison. Where do you think they transfer her to? Please say fucking Florida. Florida. Are you shitting me? Yes. So now she goes into Florida. Who do you think's 45 minutes away from the prison? Vinny Favorito. Vinny motherfucking Valero. Oh, I'm thinking Vinny Favorito. <laughs> Vinny Favorito. <laughs> He's a comic. <laughs> Vinny Favorito shows up. And Vinny Valero's there. It's like, two Vinnies. This is weird. Hey. <laughs> What's up with the Mick? <laughs> What's horse shack? Let's <laughs> make it a party. <laughs> so at first my mom won't see her. Yeah. But then my mom's in prison. She's not going anywhere. So she's like, fuck it. I got a visitor. No one from Chicago's flying down to see me. Starts seeing Vinny. And then my mom gets out. She does her halfway time in Chicago. Second, they take the bracelet off. Down to Florida. Spent the last 11 years with Vinny, man. It's a love story. It's the fucking craziest love story. Fuck. How about that, man? That is... Hey, uh, 
We got to do this again, man. Yeah, man, for I sure. I fucking could talk to you for hours. <laughs> We've been, we ping-ponged around, I think, because yeah. it's so early in the morning, man. I think we just hopscotch, but yeah. it was a real blast hanging out, man. This is fucking great. We should do morning podcasts. <laughs> I'm telling you, let's do the I'm travel in, show. Yeah, I'm in Rio for two weeks. <laughs> Dude, how crazy is that? I'm in Rio for two weeks starting next week, but then I'm back. I'm home all March. Let's Dude, do this do again March. Dude, March 15th at the Radford show. I, don't, I just... I want to check my phone. That's what distracted this whole thing. I want to check my phone. I think I'm in Chicago Uh, March 15th, oddly enough. Dude, if you're in Chicago, I'm going to set you up. Where are you playing? Zanies? No, Schaumburg. Sure, Schaumburg. Can you get down into the city? Uh, Yeah. All right. You want to go into the dunk tank? What's the dunk tank? Fucking pure insanity. What is it? I'm just saying I could hook you up. That's my town, man. It'd be like if I was going to- I'm in Chicago March 15th. Are you? Yeah. All right. I'll have some guys come pick you up and- if you want to do some yeah. fucking Fuck, Bert yes. Kreischer insanity in Chicago, Fuck, I'll make it yes. happen. <laughs> All right. I'm calling into this conference call. I'm going to pretend I'm on. Hang on. This is how, Eric, I apologize once again. I know you're listening to this. And I know you're like, Bert. Can I promo so the podcast? What? Is that cool? Do you yeah. do like little promos at the end of the show? Uh, I, what, what do you mean? I just want to let people know I do a podcast called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please, please. Promote it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it drops every Monday. You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher. It's called The Mick Betancourt Show. That's M-I-C-K, and the last name is B-E-T-A-N-C-O-U-R-T. And my Twitter handle is at Mick Betancourt. If you leave a five-star written review. You I, will sign? I may, like, email me at The Mick Betancourt Show. At, uh, whoops, sorry. Hey, guys, I'm here. Sorry. Hey, okay, keep going. Sorry, my phone's ready. Okay, go, go. Keep going. So you can email me a screen, do a five-star written review. Email me at themickbetancourtshow at gmail.com, and I'll mail you out a free show shirt as my sign of gratitude. We're all whispering because Bert's on a conference it's call. It's a great podcast. There's about 40 Everybody people on this conference, conference call. call. I don't um, know if you can hear. Check them out. We're going to do one in March. We're going to do a morning podcast again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Um... <laughs> All right. This is the craziest All shit right. I've ever Thank seen. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. All I right, Bert. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.